Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. In this episode, you're going to meet Dr. Reagan Tilly, who is a wife, mother, and passionate healthcare advocate. She's been teaching her patients to speak up for themselves and take control of their health in order to become the most optimized version of themselves. She has been in healthcare since 1996. She's worked her way up from patient care tech to osteopathic physician. She has been a lifelong observer and always known that she was unique. She knew at six years old, she'd be a physician. When the family friend asked her why and how she knew that, her answer was, because that's what I'm supposed to do. She has experienced several personal health crises that might lead one to despair and to question, why is this happening to me? She has always taken these opportunities to learn and knows someday it will help someone else. And she has a deep sense of empathy for what they are going through. In addition to her own personal experiences, she has discovered that some of the issues she had in her younger years as a nurse were not her actual experiences. She discovered that she could feel the pain and discomfort of the patients that she was working on in her own body. It took many years for her to understand that, something she's learned while on an integrative medicine clerkship in medical school. This month-long experience opened her eyes to an entirely new understanding of health and wellness and brought the healing of the energetic body home for her. This episode is so fun because Dr. Reagan is in Kansas. She talks a lot about her journey into being an osteopathic doctor and then now into functional and holistic medicine. You'll learn what she does in her membership practice, but more importantly, why she starts with a very compelling question. Now that question is at the end of our podcast interview. So listen, because we almost concluded the interview and then she really dove into some golden nuggets. It's all about energy and you're definitely going to be energized with this interview. So enjoy Dr. Reagan. Dr. Reagan Tilly is joining us today on the Catalyst Podcast. I am so excited. She is like a sister from another mister, whatever you want to say that's cliche, because she is also an osteopathic physician that has been cultivated in regular traditional medicine teachings, but found her way, interestingly, into the holistic sphere. And so we really resonate on similar topics of allowing yourself to be human in this you know, existence on this earth and showing patients what it's like to heal through trauma, through mold, through just the idea we're all on this little toxic ball of earth together and have to make the best of it. So Dr. Reagan, I'm so happy that you're joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Laura. I am so, so happy to be here. It's, um, this is kind of a first for me. So I'm excited to be here and I'm so excited it's with you because your energy and your, your story and all of just all the things that you stand for resonate with me. So, so deeply. Likewise. That's why I love this selfish excuse to talk to amazing people like you. I mean, that's really what this podcast is about is giving this platform to show practitioners and patients 
basically show the world what healing can look like. And I know you and I talked off air before we got on is healing is, is changing, right? At least in my mind, in your mind, we've had similar paths where yeah. we're starting to unpack some of the traditional views. We're taught that healing does not come from inside a exam room. You know, it, right. there's so right. many paths. So why don't you launch into a little bit of how you got where you're at right now? What has inspired you to be, you know, a new, basically a new version of being a medicine healer? Sure. Um, it's an interesting story and it can be very long or very abbreviated. So I'll try to hit the middle. So I will say initially I started in um, healthcare as a nurse. I started out as a CNA. So it started from the ground up and I've worked my way up through all levels. I had an associate's degree in nursing. I got my bachelor's degree, had a master's degree in biosciences, and then went to school at uh, Kansas City University of Medicine and Biosciences. Um, but that journey started a long time before that. I started nursing um, at 19, um, so right, kind of right out of high school. Um, but when I was five or six years old, I had a health issue. I had a severe sinus infection where my the right side of my face swelled shut, and it was complicated by a herpes infection in the in the eye, and it was a traumatic event for me. A very kind of childhood. Sure. If you will, um, I, my mother was very much into pray about it. You'll get better. And if you don't, it's God's will kind of just let it be. Yeah. And my dad and stepmom were very much traditional medicine minded, take her to the doctor, get her fixed up. There's no reason to suffer. And so, you know, I was second grade, I believe. So six or seven years old and went into the hospital because I, I, I was in pain. It's pain that I remember now as an adult. And my mom was arguing with somebody in the hallway. She wanted to take me out of the emergency room. And I say this with all love for my mother. Sure. My mother was doing what they she do the best they can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's how she was raised. And so mm-hmm. I, I have no ill will against my mother. So I want to make sure if she ever yes. hears this, that she knows that. Absolutely. Um, but I was sick and I was hurting and the emergency room physician came into the dark room because my head hurt so bad. They had me laying in a dark room and he sat on the edge of the cot and he said, don't worry, I'll protect you. Oh, I won't let anything bad happen to you. Aww. And from that moment on, I knew that my little girl statement when I was five or six to a family friend that I wanted to be a doctor was confirmed. I'm like, I'm going to be this person for somebody else. Wow. I will be their advocate. I will be their protector. I will be there to support them. And so that started a long time before, but it got held up by traditional family values when I was, you know, 18, 19, newlywed, cause got married right at 18, did all the, the things that were expected of me. Um, a woman's role was in the home or as mm-hmm. a nurse or as a teacher mm-hmm. and the family cards were stacked against me in mm-hmm. my younger mind that probably shouldn't be a doctor. It's probably not my place. And then that, that, um, desire just never went away. Wow. And when I had my third child at 27, I had an experience at the hospital after coming back from maternity leave where, and hopefully this isn't going to be too graphic. I'll try to keep it not graphic, but had a, a patient who had what's called a palliative colostomy. He had colon cancer and they felt that it was terminal three years before. So three years before he had a, a colostomy placed for comfort, but they didn't anchor it or tether it the way that they normally are. So he was still alive three years later, 
Wow. Alert cancer at bay, but the colostomy, his, his intestine had kind of, we call it telescoping, right? About six feet of it had come out. Oh, holy cow. And, um, his nurse didn't know what to do with it. His surgeon was only available via phone. The other surgeon on the floor just kind of smiled and laughed as they will and said, oh. we'll do something about it. <laughs> and I was the charge nurse that day. And uh, so I went to the doctor that was on the floor and he says, I'm not going to touch him because he's not my patient, but I'll tell you what to do. Of course. Mm -hmm. So there I am doing what he said. He says, if the bowel turns pale, stop. So here I am trying to replace six feet of bowel that had extruded out of this little colostomy hole back into the guy's belly. And we just had a conversation the whole time. He was just Hey, thank you. This is happening. So gentle. It doesn't hurt me at all. Just keep going. It's fine. And I'm standing there thinking, I, I can do this. I'm not afraid. I can do the hero. You were the hero in that moment. Yeah. And that day I went and sat down and registered for the MCAT and started looking at medical schools. I mean, right after I left the room. Cause that was, I guess my cathartic moment of just do it. You know, the universal nudges get really big. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're not usually a gentle tap on the shoulder. And if they are, you don't listen, it has to come a little bit harder before we, we pay attention. So that's what I'm trying to learn now as my adult self is to oh. listen to the gentle nudges. So I don't have to get the hard nudges so often. Reagan, that is that is a cool and compelling story. I can see so many levels of just again, what we now know is evidence-based, you know, the ACE study of adverse childhood events. We all know that, you know, trauma is, is stored in your body. It can unfold later. And like you use this as like post-traumatic growth. I mean, you had that moment as a five-year-old, how terrifying. And again, honoring that our parents are doing the best they can, just like we're doing the best we can. And everybody is, is, you know, in their own cocktail soup of whatever the family of origin has. So like you mentioned so eloquently, like, you know, you're holding grace for your mom that she did what she could, but you were scared in that moment. And that's a huge cortisol shift. And your little body is like in pain. And this hero comes to say, Hey, I've got it. You're going to be okay. Um, that is such a flag in, in the sand right there in your, in your mind that, okay, that that's important to me, you know, and that's a core value to you of helping and protecting and, and nurturing. And I love how it comes full circle. You do this again for a patient as a nurse. And then it, it just, like you said, nudges you to say, you know what, uh, let's throw all those other paradigms out the window and I'm going to do this. And I love that you just went forward and said, I'm just going to be a doctor. So, so walk <laughs> us through, like, I mean, that has got to have been the best and the coolest essay that I bet you wrote for getting into medical school, because that is really a life-changing moment on both ends. So talk to me now how in Kansas, you know, where yeah. you're working and you, you've sort of shifted even yet further, you're evolving even more into this nuanced space of healing for patients, helping them advocate, you know, just like what you're showing yourself, like being autonomous and giving them that power. Talk to me more about that. Sure. Um, so that was a skill that as a nurse, I learned, um, I had to be the translator so often for a doctor. And I also had to encourage patients to speak up for the family members to speak up for themselves. And I did carry that through my medical school and residency. So, um, going to medical school, I, this is one of those things about me is if it's for me, it's going to be for me and it's not going to be difficult 
which is a complete paradigm shift from some of the religious upbringing I had that it has to be the hard road and you have to struggle and it's never going to be easy. Okay. So I only applied to three medical schools and interviewed at two of them because the third one was out of state. And I said, we're not even going to talk to you. And so I interviewed at the traditional medical school in Kansas city and left crying, which is not my personality at all. I'm not an easy that that doesn't usually happen, but they asked a question that I was not prepared for. It's, and it's the one that they tell you, we'll never ask is who do you want to have lunch with? If you couldn't have anybody have lunch with you dead or alive, who would it be? And in that very moment, it was like my grandma. And I just like, because I wanted her to see where I was. I had come so far, like one of the people that had believed in me um, from early. And so I just, it was weird. And it also was the realization that this is not my place because they were very discompassionate. And then a month later, I went to the DO school, walked in. I'm like, these are my people. Like I felt right at home. I walked in as a non-traditional student because I was 30 and uh, or 29, actually, because I was interviewing for the College of Biosciences, which was a matriculation test to go to medical school. And I was fine with that. Um, you might have to reorient me on your question if I'm going too far off. Oh, hey, you know, and I don't blame you. My <laughs> word vomit is like a file 5,000 miles a minute. Um, no, my question was, I, and you're answering it, is this interesting path that, you know, you talked about how if it's supposed to be easy, it's not like this you know, we must be self, you know, flagellating and it has to be hard and gritty. And you're Mm -hmm. like, if it's not meant for me, it's not meant for me. And how you found your way into the osteopathic profession. And then as a non-traditional student, you, you continued down that path. So did you graduate and then work in like a traditional setting or talk to me about how that ended up into what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, that is one of the most exciting things for me, because again, the universe set me down the river on an easy flow. It wasn't easy every day, but I didn't hit the, the, the barricades that so many people do. And that to me is universe saying you're doing it wrong. It's the wrong road. Um, but you know, when I was a nurse, I always looked to see who was healing best and who had the, even if they had a terminal outcome, who was handling it the best. Cause my last two years as a nurse, I was in the oncology unit and then I got to paying attention to who their positions were because I noticed they did it differently. And so often they were osteopathic physicians, which I really didn't know anything about. Even as a nurse that long, I knew there was MDs and DOs. I'm like, eh, they're doctors. I don't know. Sure. Then some of my favorite physicians, and I used to sit and chat while I was working on MCAT and, you know, getting excited about starting medical school and um, the ones that I appreciated their rapport with patients and how they handled things from a different or a more open point of view happened to be osteopaths. So we sat and chatted and I didn't even know the osteopathic school was in the city that I had lived in. Didn't even know it was there. They didn't advertise to the locals. They only went and advertised oh, funny out of staters. And so, um, but what I saw was the approaches by the osteopathic positions seemed to work better and the patient rapport was improved. And so that guided me down that road. I was really blessed to have a very, um, you know, osteopathic schools for so long were considered complementary and alternative medicine. It was, we've really pushed hard to get recognized as authentic, real physicians. And I call myself, if somebody wants clarity, I'm an MD plus I do everything Mm -hmm. an MD does plus more. Mm -hmm. So I would say I have more education. Um, but that program, that curriculum had a lot of spirituality taught to us 
during different phases. We were taught from a systems approach rather than a basic sciences approach. So we were taught, you know, musculoskeletal, gastrointestinal, um, reproductive as a bunch. And so all of those sciences we needed to know, but also the alternative treatments that we needed to know were taught during that. And we were really fortunate to have a very um, broad-minded faculty that that's really unique, uh, Ray, yeah. and that's unique because I think you mentioned it, you highlighted like in the seventies, when you learn about at least most DO schools, you get there and you have to learn what a DO is. Right. right. And right. so we go through a little bit of the history of it. And it's so fascinating to see these little facts like AT still actually knew Dr. Palmer, who did the chiropractic, you know, all these little like overlaps of the, the Chapman points of tenderness actually overlap with a lot of the Chinese acupuncture, you know, so there's a lot of this like interweaving. And in the seventies, the DO was really tried hard to say, Hey, we're just like MDs. We're better. And it sort Mm -hmm. of kind of washed out some of the uniqueness. And, and, and now we're seeing the pendulum swing where we're recognizing, wow, there's a lot of that good healing in systems thinking in the philosophy of being an osteopathic physician that also is very congruent with functional medicine and with naturopathic medicine that, you know, the body can heal itself. And there's many conduits into doing that. And I, I love that you're resonating with the ideas of, of these different approaches and recognizing that, you know, we can, you know, go down the road to healing in different ways. So how has that affected your, your treatments of patients now? Um, it has affected it in as much as I don't usually see my patients in an exam room. We sit at my desk or we sit on the couch and, and chat, we catch up physical exam is there when it's necessary, but it's not how I make most of my diagnoses these days. What you tell me and the energy I read from you or feel from you or what you bring into the room is more guidance into how you need to be treated or managed isn't the right word, but how you need to be assisted in finding your wellness. Because that's the other part is, you know, I've had wonderful outcomes with so many people and they want to thank me for doing for them. I said, I didn't do anything for you. I showed you the road, I gave you the map and you were willing to take the trust leap and follow the map. Oh, I love, wait, pause, pause. That's amazing. That's amazing. That is so good. And what a gift that you give your patients. And I think it's becoming more aware that the antiquated system of the allopathic medicine, which is the doctor is the authoritarian, the doctor is telling you what to take and to prescribe and to fix you as like an external agent of fixing you. And you're showing the opposite of, no, you've got it in you. I'm not doing any work. I'm just showing you how you can assist your body and support it in the ways it needs to heal. And I love that you said, you know, we, we catch up, we, I get to read their energy. You know, again, energy medicine is a thing. You can feel that your thoughts, and we talked about this off the air, your thoughts are so powerful and can make your body either sick or well. So I love that you bring that in to the space of healing and helping patients recognize the the energy that is important in healing. So I interrupted you keep going. So you'd sit there, you chat with your patients and, yes. and, and so tell me what are some of the main things you like to help them learn about their body? Well, uh, so often the, when they come to me for the first time, if they've never worked with me before, I'm really fortunate to have people that worked with me in the traditional office that I worked at my first five years out of residency that knew that I was different. So they followed me to the practice that I'm in now, which is a, a membership functional medicine practice. Um, the new folks who don't have that history with me of knowing of, of having to fit it all into a 15 minute appointment and try to do all of the functional medical or functional medicine things. 
um, they've never experienced it before. They've just had their traditional medicine. So oftentimes what I end up experiencing with them and walking through the first time is somebody sees them for who they are. They're not just labeled a diagnosis. They're not just labeled a problem. They're not just told it's all in your head. And I will put a caveat on that. Sometimes disease is in our head of our own making, but it doesn't mean we're crazy. It doesn't mean that it, it's stopped True. us. It True. means we have to work on your, your thoughts and your mind and your, your relationship inside yourself in order for the physical healing to happen. So, so it's not like it's in your head True. in a negative way, but sometimes that's where we discern we need to start. And I will say, you know, probably 10% of people are turned off by that because they're not ready to own that responsibility. Sure. Or, or on the flip side, I feel like it takes us even a while to take Mm -hmm. a step back and get a deep breath because some patients just want that quick fix. And they're like, oh, but I thought that you would tell me what exactly supplement I needed to take care of this one thing. And it's like, there isn't a pill for an ill. Um, A lot of times it's, it's more of a relationship you're developing and you're right. Some patients it's like, they don't, they're not ready for that. They want that impulse buy at the checkout counter. Like, let's get this going. You know, and, and so I know likewise, um, and we've talked before is as a practitioner, it took me a while, like a hot minute to step back and go, okay, hold your horses. Like you can't force healing in a patient either Mm -hmm. in this new paradigm, because I was so used to being in that mill where I had to hurry up and get things done that I needed to take a step back and allow the explanation to unfold because patients don't automatically understand what you're doing or what you're saying. So we talk in pictures, we talk in metaphors, and I love that you're allowing this space. And And so tell me when you walk patients through, is there a common thing or a common disease? You mentioned the gut. I mean, a lot of times there's that gut brain connection. What things do you really enjoy treating? Well, I think a lot of what I enjoy treating um, are things that I didn't necessarily want to treat. And that's again, the the universe saying (laughs) too bad, you're going to deal with it. So I have a tendency to bring in folks that are highly complicated. Um, So teenagers, um, primarily young women who have anxiety, chronic fatigue, um, chronic illness, that tends to be most often a post-viral or a post-mold uh, illness or uh, an active mold illness. And I've been trying to shunt that off to somebody else. I'm like, I'll just refer you to somebody. I just, and and it, it just keeps falling into my bowl. So that's my learning. And then I went ahead and tested myself. And sure enough, I have high levels of mold toxicity on my, my own tests. And I'm thinking, okay, universe, you keep sending them to me so I can work on healing myself more. Um, so depression, anxiety, mood yes. uh, tend to be predominant because it's not a pill for every ill. And it's so often I get folks that have been on 15 or 20 different antidepressants and anxiolytics and antipsychotics, you name it. And nothing works Well, because that's not the problem. You're not deficient in Paxil. You're not deficient in well-being. Right. We need to, to nurture your neurotransmitters and, and calm down your cortisol and right. And so that's a large proportion of who I see. Oh, that's good. And and likewise, you know, the whole, you know, laundry basket full of pres- prescriptions, I get the same thing with supplements. I mean, we are we live yeah. in an information overload era where anybody right. can go on Google and read an article about, oh, here's the top five supplements I recommend for anxiety or depression. And so they've tried right. them all and they're on like 10 different vitamins and supplements right. and, and 20 times the dose recommended. <laughs> yes. And and yeah. so like I I feel that, you know, some of our jobs as as doctors 
doctors is doing our due diligence to minimizing. And I know that you talk about this, like sometimes it's learning about the brain patterns, not that you're crazy, but sometimes we are stuck in these thought loop habit patterns of, oh no, I must do everything right. Perfectionism, or I must know about everything, imposter syndrome, or all these limiting beliefs as patients and practitioners when really healing should feel easier, just like your path to the universe. Like it shouldn't be that hard with the exception of mold. I know we could talk about that forever. Mold right. and mycotoxin. Woo, that, that could be a tough road. I mean, I've helped patients that it took 18 months before we could get that resolution, but that's where we need experts like you learning to like untangle those details because it can be very, very um, isolating. Don't you think to be a patient with mold and mycotoxin illness? It is because so many of the symptoms are non-specific mm-hmm. unless you know that population. Mm-hmm. You know, there's psychosis that happens, there's right. memory loss, there's behavior changes, there's spasms and twitches and ticks and pseudo seizures and and yes. all of these things. And it's just, oh, you're just a young woman, you're just histrionic, which I, you know, that's an old fashioned term, but yes. you know what that means. You're just being an overly dramatic young lady. Oh. Yeah. And you can see, I, I don't know how you feel maybe looking at your past self. You're, you're further along than, than I was, but I can look at my past 20 years ago, 15 years ago when I was a regular family practice doctor and almost with like mm, shame because I didn't know, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I look back and go, wow, I bet they had, you know, mycotoxin. I bet they had yeah. you know, all these things. And I think, wow, look at the conventional medicine model, how we could easily put a bandaid on each one of those symptoms. You said like the, the muscle twitches. Oh, here's some muscle relaxers. Oh, okay. you're psychotic. Well, take some gabapentin and sleep through the night. And here, you know, so sad, but we're doing better and we're learning right. more. And so talk to me about if you could, if you could distill down one key takeaway for any patient that's listening now that feels like they don't even know where to get started. They don't even know. They have so many symptoms. Their doctors have been pushing them off and they feel crazy. What would you, what would you suggest that their first step might be? I think goodness to narrow it down to one thing is you have to find a provider that listens to you. You have to have someone who will listen to you with an open heart and an open mind and accept you as you are, and then join you as a, as a team member for you. They're not going to dictate your path. They're going to participate with you and they're going to guide you on your journey to healing. So if I could say any one initial thing, that's what I would say. I love that. The team member approach, the guiding, and that's why a membership makes sense, right? In functional medicine, we can't use that, or it's not as effective to use that old antiquated fee-for-service model because it takes a while to get better. And sometimes if you're paying your doctor fee-for-service to see appointments and you're worried about well, what happens in between, that's why, you know, you run a membership practice. So you're able to support right. your, your patients and give them that space to you know, vary the timeline, the mileage may vary on how long it takes somebody to unravel some of these, these health issues. So talk to me about how your medical uh, membership works. Well, I am kind of sitting on the cusp of, of trying new things after Love it. a couple of other um, functional medicine docs. So I had been quote unquote, undervaluing my services for many years. So this is my third year in this practice, you know, we're about two and a half years in, I guess. 
And I was charging $75 a month for a membership here. And then I raised it to $100 a month for, for the basic membership. And then I tried to do a functional medicine membership, which kind of worked, but didn't really because people, they're like, well, I want the cheaper one and I want all of the yep. information. So, you know, yeah, just do the cheaper. I won't do the functional medicine. And then it would come in. And, and it's not that I don't practice from a functional mindset. Every patient gets the functional mindset. So it's not like you're not getting it, but um, recognizing the value for both the patient and the provider of honoring time mm-hmm. and working on creating kind of a front-loaded visit based with mm-hmm. a functional medicine membership to tag on afterwards for your maintenance and, and ongoing chronic. Yeah. It, so, it, you know, and I think it's a mind shift for all of us, both mm-hmm. patient and practitioner. Let's put it this way. We pay an orthodontist every month to slowly shift our kids teeth with braces. That's a great. Okay. Right. Cool. I mean, we yeah. can't pay an or we can't pay a functional medicine doctor, you know, in the old model, some people would buy packages like here's $10,000 and you're going to fix me. Well, are you showing up? Are you able to do the work? Is this slow incremental change? I mean, we can't guarantee anything just because you plunk down a whole huge package fee. So I like to use that analogy that we're making tiny changes and shifts and it's going to take a while. And so these, these shifts are, are unique because patients aren't used to that. They want to just see the doctor, get the information, leave. And then we hope that they're going to put it in action and it's hard. And so also practitioners have to have a mind shift because I think we're stuck in old codependent behaviors that we overserve and we really want to help our patients out of the goodness of our heart right. without realizing we're going to burn ourselves out because right. functional medicine is intense. It's a it lot. Is. It's it a is. lot of research. It's a lot of planning and you can easily get overwhelmed if you, if you're not streamlined and you don't have these strategies in place, but that's the thing is we're human. And as our patients give us that feedback of what's working for them in our clinics, we can then, you know, play. I love that you said the word play. I'm kind of playing with different ideas and that's wonderful. And that's what I did here is over the last six years is asking my patients what's working well, what do you like about this membership? What, what can I leave off? What is not working? And so eventually you land on something and you can still change the rules. Like, you know, I have a three-tiered system where it depends on their MSQ score because the higher MSQ patients need more work. Right. but there's many ways to peel the orange. And right. when patients know that you're there and you're there consistently and you're offering them that experience, they will, they will know to count on you and learn. And I just love that you're using this to educate patients on functional medicine and different ways of healing. Yeah. That is the next thing this year is my, my biggest takeaway was the understanding the one-to-one visit. When you do 15 of the same thing in a month, And you say the same thing 15 times with individual unique tweaks. Don't get me wrong. They're still individual assessment. My goal for this year is to create more of the group visits or at least group mentality. I would love to have people come in person to my clinic. I have a beautiful space where we could have, we can hold 30 people easily to teach. And with the last three years of all of, you know, what's been going on it's really difficult to fill the space. And then people are so burnt out of webinars oh, right. here. So right. I, I'm working on trying to kind of um, make multi-use of my words. So yes. podcast, webinars, in-person groups, and then, and just creating a curriculum where every month I can send an email with here's this month's topic. 
Yes. And it, you know, that is so smart and wise. Um, because like I said, we live in information overload. It's not that this information isn't out there, but having it delivered by you personally in your own signature way, um, as somebody who started group visits before the Panini, um, and I was doing it in my office and then just morphed to online in the Midwest specifically, people are a little nervous. They don't know if they want to talk to their neighbor. They don't even know if they want to discuss any, you know, oh my goodness, my stomach pain, my bloating, that's embarrassing. Right. But when you cultivate a proper culture of psychological safety and you set the tone and people learn by, by seeing, oh, this is something that is like a sacred space that is unlike anything else. And then the peer to peer sharing in these group visits are phenomenal, you know, having a little education piece. And then on the back end, having the members, you know, come into this private room, whether it's here or online, they share with each other. And then I've literally had patients say, I never knew I needed this group, but I I love it. It's so unique. It's not like my church group or my mom group or my work group. It's people that want to get better and have like-minded, you know, wellness. So I love that you're creating this for your community, especially in your beautiful space. Um, so your intention for 2023 is to maximize the group, which I love yes. because as, as a, a secret to any patients listening, yeah, there's a lot of redundancy, even though functional medicine is very complex. Some of the foundations are very similar for each patient with some right. tweaks. So the, the most savvy functional practitioner is good about using that content and helping you get better. Um, and so in your 2023 goals or your mission, do you have a single word that you can pull from the air that might describe like your mantra, or is there a single resonating uh, inspirational word that you're using for 2023? Well, I had written it down. And again, as I had told you with my recent changes after having a little bit more mold exposure, um, I think consistency for me is going to be my word. Consistency. That's a great word. I love that. That's good. My word last night with my group, um, I told them steady. So you and I are on the same path, consistency and steady. Um, and, And I love that duality of working and resting, you know, the cadence of hustle and, and, you know, take a pause. Um, so just being steady and consistent, I think that'll be wonderful. So, okay. Where can we find you Dr. Reagan? Well, I have a brick and mortar practice in Manhattan, Kansas. So almost smack dab in the center of the United States, it's called whole health MHK. MHK is significant for our locals because that's our abbreviation for Manhattan, Kansas. Um, the website that I have is www.wholehealthmhk.com. Pretty simple. And I'm on Facebook under Dr. Reagan Tilly. That's probably where most of what I share gets shared. Um, there's a little bit on Instagram. I don't even remember my Instagram handle right now. I think it's at Dr. We'll put it in the show. We'll put it in the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Not yeah. a problem. Yeah. But, um, I, I do have a presence there. Um, and I'm trying to, to just be again, consistent with sharing my thoughts. And that's where you get a little bit more of me. We didn't get an opportunity to talk a whole bunch about the whole spiritual side of medicine, uh, but it's a big deal. And um Oh, please do. We still have time. I would love, I would not want to leave that part off. That's a huge part of who you are. So give us a little nugget of what that means to you. Sure. Um, So what I have learned and heard from a mentor of mine who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, um, Dr. Michael Simmons, he was a mentor here in the Midwest and was very staunch in his support for functional medicine, women's hormones and and, and things like that. And we met at a, a conference and he had said, we heal spirit, mind, body we can flog a dead horse. If the horse is depressed, the horse won't get up. 
you know, we, we know with our animals that if the animals are anxious or nervous, they're going to throw up, they're going to feel sick. They're not, they're going to quit eating. And, and as human beings, we recognize that in animals readily now with ourselves. Oh, you know, we have this higher functioning. I can't let that in, but that really falls to spirit that the, the emotions of fear, happiness, joy, love, anger, all of those emotions are our neurotransmitter based but I feel like they're, they're spirit driven as well. And, and are we in a satisfied space in our spiritual life or are we dissatisfied or are we discontent? Are we unsettled? And so often when we really start to tease away at that, because I ask my patients about, you know, their physical life, I ask them about their mental life. And then one of the questions I ask is what makes you feel spiritual? And I get probably a 50, 50 response on that. And it is Oh, you know, readily music, nature, my animals, kids, stones, you know, doing meditation. I'll I'll get a quick answer. And those folks are very, usually pretty well attuned. And it just takes a very gentle conversation. If there's a spiritual hang up in some of their healing. And then there's others are like, well, what do you mean? What does it mean to be spiritual? I don't know what you're asking. And then I try to gently go into, well, do you go to church? Do you have a faith tradition? Do you read the Bible? Do you meditate? Do you pray? And I said that, you know, that's not the only thing that makes people feel spiritual. Some people like to go for a hike and feel very spiritual in nature or it's music or it's something. And half of those will say, oh yeah, well I do this. And then the other half is like, eh, I don't know. And this isn't meant to be, again, as we were taught in medical school, don't put your beliefs on your patient, mm-hmm. but be fully open and accepting of any of their beliefs. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is where I encourage them to think about their purpose. What are you here to do on this planet? And what are you not able to do because of how you feel right now? And so we bring in purpose. We bring in options here. We, we do um, sound baths. We have, uh, I use a device called Healy to kind of help people see kind of energetically with their aura, where they need some energetic balance. Um, we have Reiki people that I refer to here and they come and practice in the office. And oftentimes some of my most difficult to treat patients, the ones that have been through the gamut and been down the road and done all the functional stuff before they ever got here, that's never been addressed. Wow. And so that to me has to be at least acknowledged from day one. And if they dismiss that as an option, I say, okay, we can do these other things, but if we still aren't making progress, we're going to have to revisit this. Ooh, I and, love this. Yeah. And, and it's, it's been for me, eye opening because there's a lot of trauma around our religion mm-hmm. and spirit is different and recognizing mm-hmm. that spirit is part of us in my, in my belief, you know, it's, we can't box it up and put it aside. We can't separate that from ourselves because if we do so, we're actually taking away our highest self and our highest knowledge and our highest ability to comprehend and heal. So we have to unlock that box and bring it back into our full awareness. So that's what, that's what we do here. That is gold. That is gold. You are a very spirit forward clinic, a very spirit forward practitioner that, you know, you start with that keystone and help people understand and unpack that word. Cause like you said, it can mean different things. Religious words can mean different things in spirit and you're helping them reclaim that part of their human nature and 
hopefully use that for great healing. And I love that you have these modalities incorporated. This is really exciting. And everyone's lucky if they live in that area. Do you service um, patients only in Kansas? Um, in person, um, for if we have to do prescriptions, but I also am starting a program called the quantum metabolic reset, where I'm working on whole body optimization, where we work on mindfulness, parasympathetic system rebooting, and the side effects tend to come with some weight loss. If you are holding on extra weight, it comes with resetting autoimmune disease because our immune systems get to unfrazzle. It comes with increased energy, improved sleep, improved hormone function. And primarily we just get together and every week have a nice meeting and talk and chat and catch up and, and share how we're honoring all of the needs of our bodies. And it's a wonderful program. So I don't have that website 100% up yet, but it's quantum metabolic reset. Awesome when it does come up. So that'll be awesome. I will, I will put that in the show notes too. And I encourage all the listeners to check this out and please go follow Dr. Reagan Tilly. She is just a fierce, uh, just a wonderful firecracker of, of getting this energy in the front of conversation of our healing. And it's much, much needed. It's a big catalyst for change in healthcare. It's something we don't talk about often enough in healthcare. And I'm glad that you're having these conversations. Thank you for joining us. It was my pleasure to be here. I'm so happy that I was able to do this and the opportunity uh, shared itself with me because this is exciting for me. I really enjoyed it. Well, and I love the takeaway that you've shared with me of asking the question differently. What, and I'd like you to correct me if I'm wrong from what I remember you saying, what does it mean to be spiritual? Is that what you ask them or I say how what makes you feel spiritual? What makes you feel spiritual? That's beautiful. That is, that is a good very interesting way of framing that question that is just open-ended. So I love learning from, from anybody I talk to on this podcast, and you've definitely been a wealth of knowledge and I can't wait to connect with you again. I'm sure this is not the last time our worlds will overlap. Um, So keep being you keep coloring outside the lines and until next time, um, everybody just keep on saving your own sparkle. There's only one of you. And thank you for listening to the catalyst podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Catalyst Podcast. If you're a holistic or integrative practitioner looking to streamline your steps and build your own creative practice, let me help. I love it. Check out the premium subscription box delivery service. It is exactly what I wish I had six years ago when I was opening my private practice. You see, I left traditional family practice and then just launched into an independent functional micro practice. This subscription box delivery service is a monthly delivery of digital goods right to your inbox. It's like having a mini mentorship delivered to you once a month. In your first welcome box, you will get immediate access to over 60, that's six zero, editable functional medicine infographics in Canva. Yes, that means you can put your own logo, you can change the text, you can put your colors, it's all done for you. You also get a complimentary mentoring session with me, a free copy of my Right Brain Rescue digital memoir. Then. Every month after, you get a brand new, never seen before infographic release. You also get access to vaulted masterclasses from inside my Catalyst Studio. You get SOPs, templates, and any other digital tools every month, a new inbox delivery. No contract, cancel anytime. Everyone deserves to paint their own work-life masterpiece. And now we can color outside the lines together. Head to drlarasalier.com forward slash shop.